Lieutenant Minerly, personal log two. I am admittedly very bad at these audio journals, but two things this week compel me to record something. First, I feel like I have some kind of dark magical power because yet again, I have a friend, a chief engineer, and poof, they're gone. I've served on three other starships and have no idea who the chief engineers were on those ships. But here, first, Sarah disappears. And she was the best pinochle partner I've ever had. Argyle stuck around for a bit and then he vanished. No goodbye and HR doesn't know anything. I was actually glad to stop hearing from Logan, dickhole. Now Leland. I don't know why he used his middle initial all the time, but man, was he good at holodeck racquetball, especially the cloud levels. And then there's the martial arts competition. Getting first place doesn't mean so much when the best competition wasn't even there. We're told she was killed in the line of duty, which isn't shocking. Natasha was security. It's, it's part of her job. But nobody but the senior crew were able to pay their respects as if they were the only ones that knew her. Maybe they were because she always seemed a little out of focus to me. Like she was so much more to her, but something just wouldn't allow her to be what she wanted to be or who she could be. Like someone was editing her story or something. So I never allowed myself to see her as more than more than that. And now she's gone and I wish I would have given her more of a chance. I hate these things. Where's the delete button? All right, welcome to Re-Engage, a weekly podcast where four, and when we're lucky, five sci-fi lovers revisit TNG from the perspectives of storytellers, performers, and middle age, at least for some of us. Let's meet our cultural bridge officers, Eric Gratton. How are you? I'm doing all right. I mean, I think we've all been waiting for this particular episode with bated breath and uh, com- both complaints and nostalgic uh, approaches, and I can't wait to get into it. It's yeah. good to talk to you, my friend. All right. And now the lady that introduced me to my new favorite word, dickhole, Kate <laughs> Yeager. How are you doing tonight? First of all, uh, I am so proud that I could bring that into your lexicon. Uh, and second of all, this episode um, scarred me as a child. So I am excited to um, work some of that out in public um, and get through some of that darkness. We're here for you for some group therapy. Thanks. Greg Tito, say hello to your fans. Hello, everyone. Very excited to uh, get into it with this episode in particular. I was just as scarred and I just watched it with my daughters and now they're crying (laughs) messes upstairs and I'm glad I get to talk to you guys about it before I venture up there. All right. And as I alluded to earlier, we have a visiting officer, Tanya DePass. Welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. Hello, hello. So what kind of officer do I get to be? Am I science? Am I medical? You choose, Tanya. You tell us. Uh, I'm a science officer. All right. Science officer, officer Tanya DePass, tell us how you came to TNG. Like, what was your first experience uh, and have you stuck with it since then? Uh, I'm, I'm an old Trek head, as they say, because I, I grew up seeing the movies in the theater and, you know, I just followed Star Trek all the way through. And I'm trying to remember how old was I when TNG was new. Because I'm just having that. Either I'm going to remember that I was very well into my 20s or I'm just going to freak out about how young I was. <laughs> um, but, you know, I stuck with it. And it was one of those things I got to watch my partner. And we 
got to argue about with friends because there's some friends where they like TNG, they didn't like TNG. And uh, the episode we're going to talk about is one of those where it's like the lens that I saw it through then is not the lens I saw it through today when I rewatched it. Nice. So well, I'm excited to crack it open. All right. So here we go. Skin of Evil, star date 41601.3. It debuted on April 25th, 1988. It was directed by Joseph L. Scanlon, who did four total episodes of TNG. Uh, but he also did some Quantum Leap, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which I know is a favorite oh, of Eric's. Yeah. Uh, all right, and then we have the teleplay. Two people wrote on the teleplay. Uh, Joseph Sespano, who was actually best known for his horror scripts, including writing the script for Hitchcock's Psycho. Wow. Uh, and uh, Hannah Louise Shearer, who did 11 total episodes of TNG, uh, including an upcoming episode we will be talking about, Conspiracy. Ooh. Um, and she did one episode of Deep Space Nine, Q-less, so tying into oh, wow. her work on uh, TNG and lots and lots of soap operas. Uh, and then the story also was proposed by Joseph Stefano. Um, and then, Kate, our number one song remained to be... Where do broken hearts go? Where do broken hearts go? <laughs> oh. They found their way home. Love it. Uh, and then lots of stuff happening the week of April 25th. Most of it sports related. Uh, so April 26th, we have the NBA approving uh, the addition of a third referee for the 88-89 season. Uh, on April 26th, New York met Davey Johnson becomes the second manager to record 400 victories in his first four years. The first guy was Al Lopez. Uh, April 28th, Chess opens at the Imperial Theater in New York City and runs for 68 performances. And that was the American version of Chess, not the British version, right? You know, I didn't dive that deep into it, so I'm (laughs) going to say yes. I'm sure that's correct. I, growing up in Kansas, one of the local theater stars had been in the ensemble of the Broadway American version of chess. So we, I, I was very aware as I grew up, the the local musical theater nerd, that they were uh, different soundtracks or cast albums, certainly. Like the like the Office, I'm I'm a British uh, chess person. Oh, oh likewise. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> Lines are being drawn already. Uh, all right. So April twenty eighth, another uh, baseball thing. The Baltimore Orioles lose an AL record twenty one games in a row. Uh, and then I'm going to skip to the last one. April thirtieth, uh, the then largest banana split ever. <laughs> at four and a half miles long is made along Market Street in Sellings Grove, Pennsylvania. Then largest, no. Then largest. Somebody beat it. Somebody has since did more than four and a half miles of Sunday. That's a lot of miles of Sunday. That's a lot of bananas. A lot of bananas. A lot of bananas. All right, so uh, Tanya, we always talk about some of our guest stars. not a whole lot in this episode, but a few that we should mention. We have uh, uh, Mark or Mart Machinzi. Only had two credits on IMDb, but he played the body of Armis. Um, the voice of Armis, Ron Gans, had a pretty fantastic voiceover career. Uh, the highlights for me personally: uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, and he played did the voice for Dragstrip on Transformers. Um, oh. 
and he did no less than eight voiceovers for Roger Corman's New World Pictures. I don't know what he did, but IMDb, IMDb refers to it as Drive-In Exploitation Cinema. Uh, we had Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch, uh, played by Walker Boone, uh, best known for Warehouse 13, Counter-Strike. He was in Youngblood. Uh, and he did the voice of Mario for two different animated series. So he's out there. Um, and then we had the nurse, Brad Zerbst. Uh, he did five different 1980s TV series credits, three for TNG, including the recently discussed Heart of Glory. He was on uh, Highway to Heaven, Designing Women, Murder, She Wrote, Starman. Um, but then he kind of left acting behind. And from night from like 1988 until very recently, 2020, he's been a cameraman. So he was a cameraman for the Golden Globes, uh, Alan, um, and the Grammys just recently. That's not wow. a transition you, you think about very often. Right. Actor to, to, to behind the camera. That's pretty I, cool. Awesome. I love Hollywood careers. They, they're so twisty and turny. This is not the first time we've had a, a sort of lower, right. you know, like a, a smaller guest star change careers and, and go on to, to still live in the industry, but find a different way to. to right. There are makeup artists from the episode where. Um, Wesley doesn't get into the academy, right? Right. Uh, and then we have Lieutenant Ben, I think it's Prito, Priato, Raymond Fortune, uh, who used his phenomenal lane of out skills to pen, and I quote, <laughs> uh, his controversial new system and manual for actors, the actor's Bible, jealously guarded secrets on how to become a successful paid actor in Hollywood, dot, 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 or any place else. <laughs> I'm so glad they opened it up there at the end. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this guy actually has done a whole bunch of work on the SAG Aperture board. Like, that's really the bulk of his career is sitting on the board of uh, SAG Aptra. So, those are our supporting players for this week's talk. I want to know the secrets. <laughs> right? Like, do I need a SAG card to get this book? <laughs> I think maybe those are the only people who who do have the copy. I'm in SAG. I'll grab a book and I'll sneak y'all one on nice. the down low. Nice. Please do a reading. No one of listen it. to this. Yeah. We need a traumatic <laughs> reading. Uh, all right. So there's a lot to unpack here for a whole bunch of reasons. So I propose that we talk about this in three acts. The first act, we just go through the episode. This is what happened and talk about how we feel about the episode in that that vacuum. Uh, and then I'd love an act two if we could break that open and really talk about the character of Tasha Yar, because throughout these uh, many episodes, Tanya, there have been some very strong opinions expressed about the character and the performance given by uh, the actor. Uh, and then maybe tied into that act two, act three is talk about this, the culture of Star Trek because things have come up uh, from the very beginning about how the atmosphere may not have been uh, the most conducive for everybody involved. Uh, and we have Tasha's exit. We have Dr. Crusher leaving the end of this episode. Um, and we have the, the Troy character who is very sparsely used when we look back at these all these episodes, not a really big part uh, story-wise. So I think it's important to to dive in to those things. So again, jump in anytime. Uh, I'm going to just start kind of walking through this episode uh, and tell me 
how it hit you. So uh, at the very beginning, Enterprise gets a distress call from Troy's shuttle. Uh, something is going wrong. Um, and right on the heels of that, we get a great Tasha uh, and Worf moment. <laughs> it's, you know, almost like, hey, we're never going to act together kind of moment where they finally get to have a little, a little thing between the two of them. Uh, and for me, there is a, a kind of awkward smile there at the end where it just lingered for a little bit too long. Uh, what's your take on that, guys? I really love that scene, of course. Uh, but I, I think the smile at the end makes the whole thing. I wanted this whole episode, even having seen it before and knowing how it turns out, I wanted the whole episode to be little scenes like that between Denise Crosby and the other actors on the mm. show. And I think it would have been a wonderful episode. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't want her dead, but like, if that happens, that's at least... A, a fitting goodbye, you know, and I'm going to feel some feelings, you know, that aren't, right. why did this happen in the way it happened? So I, I love that scene in particular. I thought the idea of the scene was great, but I agree with you, Jimmy, that it just it lingered a little too long. Like, I just was like, why is she, she it, it felt romantic. And I don't think they wanted it to be romantic, but it felt like, why was she smiling so much right. and being it so was- full of herself that Worf was voting for her if it wasn't going to be something that was developed? And maybe that's just the TV tropes that they were using to kind of get that sentimentality across, but it didn't, it didn't really work. I am a big Denise Crosby fan. And I, I look at that and, and see, because I know that Tasha and Worf do not have that relationship. I see the friendship and the respect and the twinkle in her eye that needles Worf that really makes him uncomfortable, but in a way that brings them closer together as friends. Uh, What do you think, Kate? I'm with you, Eric. Uh, I love that little scene, and it uh, really highlighted for me how little of that we get for Tasha in yeah. in you know shows prior to this. Um, it's very rare that she gets you know we we mark those moments. We've marked those moments per episode where we're like, hey, they actually gave Tasha something to do in this episode. Um, but here we have a really nice uninterrupted chunk, and I'm with you, Eric. I I didn't mind the sort of lingering because it was it gave a backstory to two characters that we never got the privilege to see have a backstory so it gave me this little hint of like oh there's something mischievous about their friendship that that we just never got to to see before yeah Tony, for, what about you uh for me it was like oh we know where this is going at least we know where where tasha's going and it's nowhere good <laughs> so it felt almost like a you know that you're never getting this again. And I had forgotten whether or not they ever were romantically linked because I really had to think about how early in the series this episode aired. And I was like, oh, this was very cute. But then again, we never get to see that again with many of the characters. And I don't know, it just was like foreshadowing and it was a little weird. Mm. But I wish that if we'd gotten that, maybe we would have seen more of it because she dies so early in the episode. Right. And it's just like, well, she's dead, but we can't stop it more. Thanks. <laughs> right. That's a good point. It reminds me of like on uh, The Walking Dead. Anytime any character has a happy, funny moment, you're like, all right, you're gone. They're absolutely <laughs> right. You yeah, out of the script. Targets on your back. We know what's happening. Yep. Happiness is punished. Happiness <laughs> I mean, yep. is. Uh, all right. Then we have a really great moment where we meet one of our chief engineers. And he has this... He's totally annoyed that the captain of the ship has called down to him. And he's got this great thing where he just throws his hands up. I don't know, 30 minutes? 
And he pops his hands up in the air as if the captain can hear him, just like I feel like the audience can see me <laughs> as I gesticulate. Uh, and, and there's a great moment when he, uh, when Picard calls down and the chief engineer answers with Leland T, whatever his last name is. And you can, <laughs> and, uh, and Picard is, he has a little half step where he's like, why did you just use your middle initial with me? <laughs> it was like a laugh line. It really was. Like I, I snorted at last time I watched it because I was Leland T. Jones. <laughs> why? Did, you knew right. he was gonna. You know, it was like a little in joke by the writers to be like, "What's the name of this chief engineer this time?" I don't know. Just put Leland <laughs> down. Exactly. I think at that point, there's no denying it. You know, the way they wrote it this time, it had become a joke in the writer's room, just like it had, you know, in several families across the country, I'm sure. It's it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, and we get to see uh, dilithium crystals. Our first time, we get to see some raw dilithium crystals uh, being uh, put into the dilithium energizer machine. I don't know. I, but- I like that he says it's going to take 30 minutes to put it in. Right. And then if he puts it in by hand, three. <laughs> right. Like, well, that is a very big differential. Uh, and I wonder what is lost in translation between those two. Because either something needs to become more efficient or we definitely shouldn't be applying this by hand. Because <laughs> this is an uncomfortable difference. Way faster. And the computer yeah, that's seems the kind unnecessarily... Of you would uh, see in, in the HBO series about Chernobyl. <laughs> Like, I can do it fast, but that's the last thing I'll do, kind of feel. Yeah, it just right. felt like, I could do this, and you're getting what you get. But it looked like he just had, like, a, a like something you find in, like, that wacky aunt's house yes. that would be on this table. And I'm like, did you just steal this from, like, some prop room? Because it just looked like a chunk of amethyst that they grabbed off a prop table. It was a feeling crystal he stole from Troy's room. Oh my god! I mean, I I had friends who had like the room that had geodes and things on the shelves. You're totally right, and it was on like a baking tray, right? Like yeah. going into the oven of the warp core. And I was like, they're gonna die. The ship's gonna explode. And this wasn't too long after they had just had a scene similar to that destroy a couple of major characters in the movies, right? So it it is going through our heads. Uh, all right, so the Enterprise then arrives at the planet after the ship goes down. Uh, and we don't know if Troy's alive or dead. Uh, and of course she's alive because TNG would never arbitrarily kill off a character. Sure. And so they send down their first away party. Uh, and the planet arrives and quickly meets this puddle of evil that is uh, Armis. Uh, and Armis, we find out, is entirely composed of negative emotions. So, uh, and he's yet another sort of godlike creature uh, with fantastic power. So I think we got to, you know, stop the trade here. And uh, what about Armis, guys? I, mean, I have such a visceral memory of that first time that that figure comes out of that black ooze. It's just. I mean, just indelibly inked on my on my psyche, uh, and I I still think is it's it's creepy as fuck. Like it still is very disconcerting. So it works uh, for you. It, it did work for, for me, and right. I know that it didn't work for everybody. Um, and and certainly 
when it's following them, you know, from place to place, and it's sort of more, you know, they're trying to walk from one section to another. <laughs> right. That's a, oh, it's blocking oh, them, oh, just yeah. jumping back uh, and forth. It's a little less successful for me, but that initial like rise hulking figure out of the the black ooze, right. um, and especially knowing what I know about how they got that effect. Yeah, which was uh, not pleasant from from what I read. Yeah, so tell us about that because that it is pretty. Uh, it and Denise talks about this in an interview specifically. But, but what did you pick up? What I picked up was that it was a, a, a the guy that you mentioned in a suit um, with no mask or anything, and they would put him, you know, into you know submerge him in the goo, and then they had to be careful to lift him out within a minute because otherwise he couldn't breathe. <laughs> right, you would choke to death. You suffocate. <laughs> uh, so, so it yeah, was a little time. scary. For the actors, at least. I mean, uh, Tanya, how did this affect you? Like, did, w- do you remember oh. when you saw it first and then when you saw it again? Yeah, because now that you said the year that it came out, I was like, oh, my God, I was, I was a teenager. Um, I, I'm pretty sure when I first saw it, I was like, this is like Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's terrifying. And now, much, much later, I'm like, really? This looks like <laughs> someone stood up in like a pile of hefty bags i'm not terrified <laughs> but but when you talked about like how the, the 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 ooze followed them i'm like after watching again and like after thinking about it, i'm like why didn't you just split the group and see could it not go into places at once <laughs> but yet yeah, this like column of ooze stopped you a whole party from going around or something it just felt your Starfleet officers, you can't figure your way around this thing. No, at no, all. they're not RPG players, though. Tony, they don't know. I have met many RPG players that would have done the exact same thing. <laughs> they just stopped. <laughs> so they would have been like, "What is that? Can we attack it?" <laughs> right, and it's like, "Oh, it ate your weapon." Sorry that like plus ten right. longsword is now gone forever. Good luck. Right. Right. It is terrifying. Uh, I have a theory that the efficacy of the monster to the audience kind of is linked to fandom of early doctor who and that if those kinds of villains are the Mm. kinds of villains you can attach the imagination of fear to then it's easy to love the 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 fear that is in this villain but it's also always going to come with an element of humor as well like I do think this is a funny villain, but I also am afraid of it. No, I, and I, I, I see where you're going with it. And I, I, I agree a lot of the, um, uh, the, the Doctor Who villains especially were like that. The only issue I have with it in this particular episode is what we know is going to happen. And if this was any other episode where somebody didn't die, I'd be all on board for that. But when you're going to take away a character, then I think that the villain needs to rise to the occasion and, it wasn't, he wasn't quite there for me, and not because of the special effects. It was really because of the way he was voiced. I mean, he he sounded like some some guy from the Midwest or like a generic American guy who was a little grumpy, and that that didn't have the gravitas of like this celestial evil power. Um, and I don't know what that should sound like, but. It just wasn't that, you know, <laughs> like pornography. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. <laughs> well, for, for me, that 
the 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 slickness of what you're seeing in front of it and the changing of it i, I agree that the digital effect of it moving kind of takes a little bit away from it but just the the practical effect of that shiny gross it's like a shiny black uh um uh, banana peel right that you kind of didn't know was there and you, you're reaching into the back of the the refrigerator and you touch it and you're just like oh what, what am i touching uh like that's the feeling i get when i see armis rising uh from from above and it is viscerally terrifying in that way uh the voice i actually i actually have some more fear with the voice because it is this this intense uh breathing and and uh, animosity kind of personified uh within it and it worked when i was a kid for sure like i think that's part of it too is like it has that kind of uh, uh terrifyingness for 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 young people who don't have that that uh experience uh behind it all but as an adult watching it now it does just i i get the doctor who thing i do get the hokiness and i'm just like i wish they could have turned the screws a little bit and and portrayed something that was uh you know terrifying no matter what and the, the music tries to lift it up and, and help it out but it doesn't always complete the circle there yeah so there's our bad guy and uh, he gets a lot of screen time uh in fact he gets a nice little philosophical debate with Riker uh which maybe why he got a little pissed off with uh Riker and, and sucked him in and I thought that was actually uh Riker going under in his face was it had a more impact on me um, than the bad guy. Uh, it's terrifying. And, yeah, it was, <laughs> and he's re- you know after reading the Dennis Crosby interview too, like he's really being covered in this stuff. And you know they have about a minute to get their shot before they have to like get him wiped off. I feel like over the last ten years or so, I've seen a ton of stand-ups and and heard a ton of podcasts reference the fact that when we were kids, we were all a lot more scared of quicksand than reality warrants, <laughs> as it turns out, as adults. And uh, I think this is certainly a piece of that, along mm. with the lightning sand and things like that, right? Well, yeah. And then uh, um, that brings us right to the big moment. Um, Kind of, Can we call it the big moment, though? It happens it's in right. an instant without any, an instant. without any sort of, you know, she sort of says, you know, fuck this, I'm going. Right. And then it just is like a rag doll. Away she goes. And that's it. That's it. She's done. That's Her character is out of the story. So it's it, 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 her death is incidental to the story, not the center, the central part of the, the, this episode. Uh, and that's another thing along with the bad guy maybe not rising to it that's uh, it's a little awkward Kate. they sort of I realized as I was watching it this time they use her like an original series red shirt in mm. order to give a more dangerous situation to the to the Troy circumstances so whereas in the original season this series this would have been absolutely some character that we'd never seen before and now we have to take this ooze seriously because it's killed unnamed you know ensign number five uh this time it's somebody that you know is top credited pulling that rug out from underneath us and you know and it's one of those things i think for me this was the first time i had a character that i loved taken away from me 
you know, the, mm-hmm. at that age. Um, certainly the movies that we were watching during that time, Secret of Nim and shit like that, were scarring as fuck. Don't get me wrong. There was a lot of dark shit uh, in the pop culture that we were watching. But there were certain rules. And, and if somebody was on the credits of the show that you were watching, the rule was they stayed. Like, this was, right. you know, before... Right. Uh, you know, we, we had Game of Thrones or we had The Walking Dead or things where your favorite character, you know, is, is never safe. But this was, you know, oh, it really, it really stunned me as a child. If we're going to talk uh, Game of Thrones for a second, I mean, what I wrote down was the whole Sean Bean thing. They, they love to kill Sean Bean early <laughs> in an intellectual property, you know, whether it's... Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings or uh, you know James Bond or uh, in his first couple series as well and they could have made Tasha Boromir do you know who died in a semi run of the mill part of a battle doing something super heroic but it it's not dependent upon that particular moment of death for the, everything else to succeed it's it's a moment of heroics Right, and he led the way into danger throughout the book. So when when you lose him, it makes sense that it would be him, right? And that could have been the case with Tasha. Uh, she's the head of security. If they had really focused that way early in the season, and she had led the way into every piece of danger they exhibited, and they had given her that piece of thing, this death, while still I wouldn't be in support of it, might have at least been earned mm. somehow. Yeah. Tanya. I mean, now that we're talking about it, I also wonder why is the head of security on an away mission? Like, why didn't Worf go? Why didn't someone else go? Because all through Star Trek, it's always like, oh, we can never let the captain and first mate and all these other people go together. So if it's supposed to be a simple rescue mission, why did she actually go down there? That was that's always been my question where we had these missions where like in TOS where Spock and Kirk and McCoy, you have your three most senior officers leaving the pl- leaving the right. ship at the same time. <laughs> right. So did she really even need to go? And I still and I don't know what theories you all have, but why is there this random red splotch on her face? The ketchup stain. <laughs> that isn't yes. there when she gets smacked across the sand for all of two feet. But it's there when she right. dies. What is, it is such a MacGuffin, right? Because you think that it's going to somehow come into play later. Maybe she's not really dead. Maybe, you know, they can suck out the poison or some shit. Right. Uh, <laughs> but instead, she looks like that she came from laughing and they just were in the middle of painting, <laughs> right. you know, fun graphics <laughs> on her. And... It's a leaf from a Lorax tree. I thought it was a Gorbachev <laughs> reference, personally. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all about right. Perestroika. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the whole the whole red shirt thing, I didn't even consider Jimmy. And I think perhaps, you know, there was a lot of old school writers on this uh, from TOS. And they might have just been like, hey, we can finally make the red shirt thing, you know, mean something. Right. Like kind of like, oh, we can we will play with the expectations of what the audience is going to be. And we'll take that away. And I think that's more evident in the medical rescue scene that we get, which plays on all of those tropes. Of oh you know hit her again hit her again faster it was like right. it was like is this um, you know the she, abyss right here like, she may have died from brain damage from all the times that Beverly hit her with that little brain scan thing yeah and what's a microvolt I don't know what a microvolt is but it's a very <laughs> it's important it's teeny tiny it's, it's small, uh, I, I don't know if we brought this up or not but Gene Roddenberry specifically said she had to die this way like it was it was a conscious 
decision that was debated about and he won that she needed to die in an arbitrary way because that's what happened that's a very real possibility for someone who is a security officer and i accept that except it's star trek and it's such a cynical way to treat death in human life and i don't want that personally as a fan don't want that level of cynicism from star trek which isn't supposed to be cynical, right? Like, it's supposed to be the positive... Yeah, uh, we'll positive all find out that our it. heroes die. Yeah. Right. Okay, so we lose Tasha. They go up. They, you know, they can't revive her. We're all thinking, at least when we first saw this, we probably were like, there's no way she's dying. They're going to bring her back some way, somehow, and they don't. Um, and this leads to Worf getting a yellow uniform. Um, he doesn't get to, you know, it's not... It's like mentally winning the uh, martial arts competition. It doesn't feel great because he's losing a friend. Uh, and he makes the odd decision. Or maybe it was the mature decision to, I'm not going to go. And he starts to go because uh, that's his, you know, the sort of his core. Like, yeah, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to face this thing that took away my friend. But then he reconsiders. Um, and I thought that was a great moment and it really showed a very stark difference in how they developed this one character that just took away uh and how they were developing another character in a very subtle way they didn't make a big moment out of it he just explains why he's not going to go and what he's going to do uh and that's a nice bit of world building for Worf. um i mean did you guys take anything from that scene differently or different points of view there I like that it was asked, right? That Riker asks him whether he wants to join or not, right? And it was not an order, you know? So he it was like a very much like, where do you want to be? And I thought, well, yeah, it was a very mature moment just to be like, okay, I'm going to do the best job that we can do to get the people home. Like, that's our mission right now before we can grieve uh, and, and do that from here. Of course, we don't see any of those things that he does from the tactical station from this episode going forward, really. No, we uh, see one thing. We'll oh, no, he does work with moment. Wesley yeah. on the... We see uh, that coming up here. I was about to say, don't. You know, don't. I'm, I'm, I'm totally we wrong, see. yeah. He does have that whole bit about trying to beam him, uh, beam her back up, uh, uh, Troy back up. So, yeah, no, I take that back. Uh, all right, so then uh, Worf doesn't go down. The second away team beams down, and this time we have uh, Jordy and uh, Data are a part of it. Um, and then Riker, this is where Riker actually gets sucked in. And when I watched it the first time, I was like, wow, they're really putting uh, Jonathan Frakes through it. Because, you know, he had the one episode where he has to freeze for a long time, where he's in the <laughs> tube. And then he had another one where he's shocked and he's sort of frozen. And then he gets sucked in. And I wonder if there was a little period where he had pissed off the writers. <laughs> they were putting him in some awkward situations. I mean, you got to ask yourself that at that point, right? Either uh, that or he's just the most gung-ho, you know, right. like, uh, who will do it? Uh, Frakes will do it. He's really yeah. jump in. Uh, and this is where we meet, um, I think this is the first time where uh, we really start to get in the back and forth between Armis and Troy. Mm. Uh, he's he's uh, enveloping the ship and they really have the dialogue back and forth and he starts to negotiate for a way off the planet and we start learning more about him. So this is actually when we find out that, you know, he was uh, created, the, the leftover negative parts of some ancient uh, uh, race. So what, give a it really, to me. What about that storyline? Well, yeah, that storyline. But before we get into that, I think what's interesting about what what's what makes this uh, villain still scary to me today 
is that she gloms on very easily. You want to break the crew because you didn't feel anything when you killed Tasha. And he's like, you're right. I didn't feel a goddamn thing. So let's play. And like, that's terrifying. Like someone who, you know, and he gets into that philosophical conversation with, uh, with Riker about, you know, all life is sacred. Well, that's the way you feel about it. Uh, what an interesting thought you must have. I just I like a, a stone cold absence of any sort of empathy or uh, any sort of, um, it's not until we get to something that the creature wants that there's even the possibility of negotiation, which I think is different than any of the villains that we've come up against. There's always been a way uh, to negotiate, to find some some way to, to, have, um, to have words. Besides the machines that just kill you for no reason on a planet because they've been left to do their own business. But that's fine. That's... <laughs> Tanya. Um, it was funny because after I watched it, I actually was texting Greg and I was like, this made me really think about there's a subplot here about bullying and abandonment mm. because this creature has been abandoned and it's made them bitter and whatever sentience mind it has has been corrupted by that. And instead of going, hey, I've been abandoned here is there a way to get me off? It chooses the path of killing Tasha just because, and then continuing to bully them and play with them like a cat plays with a toy. And so, yeah, like that never clicked for me as a teenager watching this, but you know, now in my, my late forties, it just made me think of internet bullies. I've come across people I've worked with that are like, you have no soul, do you? You do this just because you're a terrible human being. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they have to, that Picard has to come down and trick this creature. And it's just, it was kind of hard to actually watch, you know, knowing the things that I've experienced in that meantime growing up. Mm. Because there's so many people that do things and they just simply don't care about other people. And it seemed like the embodiment of, I don't know how to tell you, I can't teach you how to care about others. And now it's just going to sit there, however long it's been there, and be mad and bitter because it got tricked and abandoned yet again. But it brought it on itself, but there doesn't seem to be that awareness of you are in a self-perpetuating cycle. Hmm. That's the thing that's terrifying to me, right, about this whole storyline. And you're right, people we've encountered online or whatever, you're just like, are you just that type of person that wants to get other people angry? Like, does that... Does that make you feel any better? I'm going to bet it probably actually makes you feel worse about your entire life, but you don't even realize it because of what's happening. And you're right. It's it's something that is kind of endemic to our culture right now, at least in internet culture, where there's there's no, uh, the anonymity of that uh, allows people to to act out in a way. And uh, Armis is that portion of society that these people left. You know, they were like, oh, we don't want the, that side. And it's so funny because we talk about that in fandoms nowadays and we're like, you know, as uh, older companies might have been like, well, we got to make sure we make all of our customers happy. Right. That's what the, the old adage is, is the customer is always right. And there's been this kind of shift in thinking when dealing with uh, parts of, of a community or or, or a uh, a fandom that you're like, well, no, that that part we don't want. We don't want to make them happy. So there's no we have to start making the choices about about what to do. And and Picard and the crew are battling with that throughout this entire episode. 
Eric, you had something? Yeah, I mean, I was. Uh, I mean, it was it was ably already discussed by Greg, so I was going to sit back oh, and let y'all keep going. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It was great. Kate, what were you going to say before I jumped on you? Uh, I was just going to say there's that great moment where he says to Picard, "Entertain me," and it's just so. Um, devoid uh, it's just chilling to me and and i love that picard immediately is like no like we're not going to play this game with you and it's it's not until they say we're not going to play that they're able to you know that that's what gets him you know to negotiate to negotiate right yeah well and there's a great bit with data too right where he just tells them i'm not going to help my friends because I know that's what you want, and you'll do it anyways. So um, I'm not going to play into it. And his friends all support him, they, even though their lives may be in danger uh, because of it. They all take the stand. Um, and it, it's interesting because I don't disagree with anything that you guys have said, and I think it's it's eloquent and brilliant. Um, it, but but Star Trek is usually so didactic and so on the nose. Uh, that I wonder if they stumbled into this on accident. Um, and, and I do have doubts that it was uh, um, purposeful with that, uh, the bullying. But it, as Tanya brought out, like it's absolutely fits within that lens uh, perfectly. Like it's, it is all those things. Yeah, Eric. I, I completely agree. Uh, I hadn't thought of it in those ways. And I'm going to watch it again, uh, probably right after we finish uh, with that lens in mind. Uh but all I can think is what a missed opportunity it is uh, when looked at that way to not feature Tasha during the rest of it because she had such a tough childhood. That's her yes, whole yes, yes. Uh, backstory. Yep. And she chose the other path. And yeah. God, what a wonderful uh, conversation those two could have had. You know, um, so I, I love that insight, Tanya. I, I just wish they yeah. had explored it with Tasha as well. Yeah, that was brilliant. And Kate, you mentioned how so many uh, Picard says no. I just want to say there that as one single line is used in this episode, I think 10 times where someone asks a question and the answer is no. Yeah. And period. And that's the end of the line. And they don't explain it anymore. And it's used by every it's used by Picard. It's used by Armis. It's used by Troy. It's used by everybody. And it's very interesting because it's all it's different each time. And it means something different. But the acting around it uh, has is is solid yeah and but before picard goes down to give us no we get the power of graphs because Worf and wesley were together on graphing everything that's happening and this is where they find uh Armus's weakness uh which is psychoanalysis and uh you know all you have to say is psychoanalysis picard and he's off he hears that. He knows just what to do. He beams right down uh, and he gets into it. Um, and this is how, you know, the, the little bit of weakness is where he gets to be able to talk to Troy and comes up with a plan on how they may, will, may be able to uh, take care of this little business. Yeah. I didn't great. even get the metaphor until just now you describing it, but it, psychotherapy literally brings the walls down. Oh. <laughs> and that's how they're able to beam... <laughs> I do love that I do love that Worf deciding to stay on board though is what Led saves to the day. Right? right. Like he says I can be more helpful at at the computer monitoring the situation and sure enough it's through data and analysis and um charts and numbers. And graphing. That, and graphs. 
Because <laughs> you sure do like their graphs. I was just they happy do. there was a display on the computer that actually made sense to me instead of just flashing <laughs> lights and being like, them just being like, oh, the mumbo jumbo is going to help us. And I'm like, oh, but no, I can see you. This is... This is a Vander. You guys should watch the mumble jumble. I did watch a little thing on uh, came on my street, my little news stream in Star Trek, and oh boy, was it the first episode um, where they're on the screen and all the data comes through? There's actually a little picture that comes up, and it's of uh, Roddenberry on a on a bird, his head on a bird, and it's because he was the. Uh, the the bird of the galaxy because he created this world so it was a little nod to to him so sometimes they throw in little things of those uh, seemingly meaningless pictures <laughs> oh that's funny uh, okay will... oh sorry go ahead Kate. oh I was just gonna say this episode does have one of my favorite things in any episode uh, any movie any show where the title is in the episode because he literally says I am a skin of evil and I yelled and cheered because that was the title of the episode my yes. girls did too they're like get it skin of evil like the title is <laughs> I feel like that always there should be a prize on set for the person with the titular line that should be an absolute tradition if it is not uh all right so uh the crew beats armis uh we're pretty sure that they blew up the shuttlecraft they tell us they did but they didn't want to show it to us uh we see a big explosion uh so uh theoretically abandoning Armis on this planet. And yet again, Picard has the uh, the power to say nobody's allowed to ever come to this planet again. It he, is off he limits. It's off limits to everybody, which I was thinking like when they have off limit planets, don't name it something cool. So, you know, not, not Argus 2, just say like, don't come here 475 or uh-uh. Like, You're there be like there's something bad You're there. terrible at hiding porn, Jimmy. <laughs> You're don't terrible at here. it. <laughs> don't look in this folder. <laughs> On your desktop. It says don't look in here porn. Yeah. Yeah, it's never gonna work, Jimmy. <laughs> and it's got a dick hole. <laughs> uh, that uh, ending <laughs> moment though, where Armis is in that groaning uh, grimacing thing, for as a child watching this, I imagine because picard said this is off limits no one's going to ever go to this planet again i imagine armis still groaning that note forever because he's got no lungs he's got no fatigue he can have it's going to continue going forever he's self-lubricating for some reason that in my brain that infinite loop is something that i've thought about for for decades and i will continue to think of that as hell maybe we can revisit and see if he's learned anything armis Armis, what did we learn about killing people? I want to know what sort of downgrade they gave to the holodeck after the last time that it was going poorly. Uh, that they gave that now when we go into the holodeck, instead of mountain air and trees and and rivers, we have um, you know like golf grass. And fake. And Jimmy, what did you call it? The Windows XP background. Yes. It was the Windows XP background she was standing in front of. The worst, so the worst XP ever. With the clouds going behind her. Yeah. Could even yes. go to Griffith was, Park. Yes. So what What about the, the, the goodbye? What do we think about that? Um, just in general. Just tell me. Yeah, Tanya, go ahead. Um, I feel like for someone with her rank... It was a very weird, small, and 
and not in a bad way, but it was like she was a senior officer of the ship. It felt like there should have been more of a mm-hmm. public slash notable ceremony. And even if they'd had a smaller thing to themselves, and maybe they do and it's off screen and we just never see it. But she was a senior security officer on a starship. So mm-hmm. why don't we get the big send off like, you know, in yes. other in other yes. properties where a major character dies. Like Spock in Star Trek yes. two, right? right. I exactly. mean, they're all like they're you know shooter out into space with right. Where's with their the hands bad up. pipes? Yeah. James right. Dewan should be having pipes, the bagpipes. Whatever kind of naval tradition there was for a, a fallen soldier, there should have been pomp and circumstance. And instead we get movie of the week uh feel good speeches. Yeah. Now, see, I had forgotten that we got to hear from her one last time. And I was glad that at least we did because of that, how, how fast that death happens. That- I, I agree, uh, Kate. I was glad that the actor got more screen time. I was disappointed that it was like, well, how convenient that she's addressed these people. Is that why only they were invited? It's like, it's a little odd like that reading, you didn't talk about anybody else. It was else. like the reading of a will, right? Like you have the quiet moment with just friends and family. And then you have, you know, the big, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that the big pomp and circumstance didn't happen off screen. Or at least I'll tell myself that to make myself feel better. <laughs> right. Uh, I legit cried. Uh, again. Both times? Uh, oh, okay. I did. I did. Uh, I didn't think I was going to this time, but uh, there was something, um, there's something really you could tell the people that were special to the actor, and maybe that's not a great acting moment we can talk about, but it's beautiful. Like, when you see the genuine love that someone has for something, especially when she was, like, talking to to to, uh, to Frakes. There was there was some real genuine affection there, and and there's that moment. I always love slash hate watching finales um, because you see those moments where the mask falls and it's right. a real moment. Right? right? They're not of, acting anymore. They're not acting anymore. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, and and like I'm totally like, it, it's not the world's best acting, but it is a, a, an unguarded moment. And there were a couple of those in her speech that felt like real genuine moments of. And I sort of put myself in that, you know, because her leaving was more or less amicable, like amiable. Like there wasn't there wasn't a big, you know, she wasn't fired. It wasn't a big, you know, uh, scuffle that led to this. It was an an unhappy actor who was let go, you know, let out of their contract. And I think that there was some genuine affection there and sadness. And I think that's what got to me this time. I mean, I, I'd love to talk a little about Denise Crosby, too. I mean, I, I feel like there is political kind of ramifications for how the character was treated, both on her career and kind of on her career before this as well. Like, right at this same time, I don't, I don't know if you guys ever, did you see the movie Miracle Mile? That came out this same year. So she had some pretty good career prospects. It's, it's a really interesting a nuclear war thriller starring Anthony Edwards, uh, directed by uh, Steve DeJarnett, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, one of the film school uh, auteur kind of generation. And she's terrific in it. And she's terrific in Pet Cemetery, which is a weirdly watchable movie, I think, just because of the cast. 
So I don't think it was a bad idea for her to leave the show because she was given co-star lines as a series regular. She was given two two lines with with plot implications but not character implications. It's hard, hard, unrewarding work that she didn't need. She's Bing Crosby's granddaughter. Like she she has money. Like uh, she didn't know the guy. And never, and he didn't ever meet her because he was a dick. But but they had money, you know. Um, so she wanted to act, and and it's it's weird that this is the first episode that the, I feel like they really gave her some acting opportunities, and I feel like she nailed them. It's hard to be like smiling and in love with a camera uh, as you talk to it. It's hard to be charming in the way she is in this uh, and hadn't had the opportunity to yet. So I, I thought the goodbye uh, I'm with Tanya. I wanted something much bigger, both for the actor and for the uh, character. It was a tearjerker for sure. Like, I think it was designed to do that very well. Uh, if you have a soul. So I don't know if Jimmy, if you cried, but I cried and <laughs> Uh, it, it, and, and in watching it with my my young daughters again, which I'd love to do a kid track on this too, because I think there's a lot to unpack with with uh, with young people watching it. Um, you know, my my sweet older oldest, you know, full on tears each time they're going to a new character. I hear a new sob, and my youngest, who I sold on watching this because I'm like, it's got scary stuff in it. You want to watch some scary stuff? Uh, she's like, I don't, why are you crying? She was like, looking at me, are you, are you crying? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got some tears. Uh, so, you know, it hits people differently. I totally get that. But for, for me, I had really appreciated that they gave uh, a scene in which we were able to, you know, move through each one of these things. And, it, you know, it is development for her and this character a little bit. But I actually like that it it was the jumping off point for so many of these other characters, and especially Data's line at the end. Yeah. You know, and the fact that he's in some ways the audience character in that scene because he's thinking about, you know, the absence of of, of uh, Tasha going forward and how that means. And that's, you know, that's what death is, right? That is that feeling of like, you know, I don't know what they're feeling, but I know that I'm feeling this terrible loss and how beautiful that is. And it, and it, and it worked. Yeah, that's my favorite moment, I think. And yet again, uh an example where where data is the most human or at least has the most human line uh and it was one of the best the end lines uh of the series it's uh especially when picard can't say anything else but you got it because uh he nailed it on the head uh so that's you know powerful it affected everybody in some way it, it seems so let's really dive into uh the culture then um and i think it's important to start off with um there was an interview that david gerard did and david gerard uh he wrote trouble with tribbles uh in the original series um he wrote a bunch of the land of the lost episodes um <laughs> and uh he worked with dc fontana one of our faves uh t uh writers from the original series on a lot of the star trek animated series uh, shows and he was uh, he wrote um, for a couple of TNG episodes, but he left and he left on his own accord. But he did it for a reason that we've all we've talked about before. Roddenberry's lawyer, mm. uh, who got into it, uh, and I just want to read 
what he said. So this is a quote from the interview he gave. He says, I left the next gen because Gene Roddenberry's lawyer made the working conditions untenable. Gene's health was failing and the lawyer told him not to trust his own staff. Over 30 other people left the show that first year, a television record, because of the office politics. Even today, if you mention the lawyer's name on the lot, people roll their eyes and say, we don't mention him. Uh, but um, I'll mention him. His name was Leonard uh, Mazelich. Uh, and he took over the writing of this episode. So ah, he handled no a lot of the rewrites. And I think that may have been why some of those things uh, fell a little flat because a person who had no skill in writing was now putting out dialogue in editing story of people who had long history of success. And I think not only does it speak to this specific episode, but that tells a lot about the culture of what's going on. Um, you lose 30 employees. You're, there's something is wrong with the atmosphere that's going on um and you know we lose denise crosby in this episode as already mentioned she chose to leave she had a lot of prospects uh and she didn't want to see herself on this for seven or eight seasons uh mainly i think because of how her character was developed if she would have had you know picard level of attention i wonder if that would have been a different experience but it, it can't be ignored that beverly crusher leaves at the end too like She's exited out the door. Um, and then, and, and Troy, like I said at the beginning. Uh, so, you know, dive in if you found anything out. Because, like, it struck me on this episode. It was like, Troy really isn't used a lot. She had that one episode where her mom shows up. And it was kind of Troy-centric. And she's been in there. So she wasn't ignored. But certainly not meat and potatoes like Data, Riker, and Picard. Like, those three characters are given a lot of screen time and development uh, and our female characters really aren't. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've had troubles with the way that, that the female characters are written in this first season and particularly Tasha. Uh, I think that they gave her um, a really powerful backstory, right? Like growing up in, in danger and, you know, on her own and sc scrappy and, um, and terrible, awful, you know, she's always talking about escaping from the rape gangs and from all of the awful things that she goes through. And then they just don't give her much to play with. And they, they give her a lot of, you know, they put her inside boob the first chance that they can get. And they, you know, they sexualize her and they don't give her many interesting things to say. You know, it's not until, what was it, maybe two episodes ago that we were like, oh my gosh, Tasha has a an actual tactical plan. It was the first time that they had actually ever given her, you know, say of sort of, here's how we're going to tactically handle this dangerous situation. And that was what are we, 21 episodes in? So that was like 20 episodes in where you finally get some sort of right. a you know, her doing her actual job. So Tanya, I, I'm, I'm curious what, when you were a kid watching the show, did it resonate with you? Did it, did you feel like it was speaking to you? Um, and now looking at it through the lens uh, that you have now, what do you think? Like I, we're all fans, but we've all had issues. I mean, on this panel here, we were all fans, but we've had issues with, 
very specific episodes of TNG, but at large. Uh, so I'm just curious, what, what's your takeaway at large for TNG in general? Um, I think I related to some of it as a as a teenager when I watched it, because you know, like watching Wesley grow up and seeing a lot of the things that he went through is like that super smart kid that nobody knew what to do with. And, you know, Tasha being basically just kind of there as window decoration until she died. Um, and poor Worf. And then seeing him change and, and grow and mature and then his kid and just all the things that we got to see. It, it related a lot more to me, but viewing it through, I have now lived life and lived through a lot of things that they went through. Some of it seems almost comical and then some of it is like mm. really profound so it, it kind of is hit or miss with every episode because for all that I ragged on the effects in this episode, there was some really important stuff in there that would have never occurred to me as a teenager or young adult. So yeah. I, going back to it, you know, 20 something years later or more, um, it's interesting all the life lessons that I've learned that I can now bring back to that. Yeah, right on. Um, and, you know, there's one thing with Tasha in it, that, that same interview where she talks about why she left. She brings up this, a scene that she auditioned with Kate, and it speaks to what you were talking about. Because um, the scene she auditioned with was a lot of her backstory. Um, and she was really surprised. Denise, she says in this interview, that none of that stuff really came to bear in in the series. And she was very disappointed that she didn't get to to see that happen because um, she thought that it would. Uh, it, it's, I don't know if it's important, but it was, they also, uh, she and um, uh, Marina Citrus switch roles. Yeah. So Marina was going to be Tasha uh, or had originally auditioned for that and, and Denise for Troy. And then Roddenberry had said, hey, why don't we switch this around and, and see what they can do. Um, and then, you know, she crushed this the scene obviously that she was given and she really loved that this was a she felt a character who is weak inside but strong outside uh and she wanted to be able to explore that in you know as we said throughout this this series there were chances where there could have been really fun explorations that that just never materialized for her it reminds me that gates mcfadden also talked about the piece that she auditioned with and how that piece led her to it was the it was the um oh god what is the episode where uh they all get it's the fully functional um the naked now the naked now yeah um where that that was the scene that she auditioned with is that that scene where she's all hot and bothered and she thought that crusher was going to be a much more um comedic character and was going to you know so she was Felt, felt like she was playing against what she was being given based on the initial mm. material that she was given. And I wonder if for both of them, they felt like they were given this really rich material to audition with, and then it fizzled out. Like there was no backup to that. Just kidding. Hmm. No follow through. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder about the writing staff too. I mean, cause they were all the stuff we talked about with the lawyer and Gene Roddenberry, how they were so frustrated along the way. Um, they must've been pitching, stories that involved all the characters right and for whatever reason gene would always pick the ones that had nothing to do with uh uh with tasha or with crusher um and they never got those moments right and so we know the reason yes we know the reason yes it is it is 
blatant lawyer sexism. Right. As Putting men in short skirts doesn't make you progressive. <laughs> <laughs> You're just playing the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, at least Crusher had moments with Picard. And that's the, that's the sad part is that, there, you know, she got to bounce off the main character uh, for this first season and had some strong acting moments and, ability, and opportunities there. And Tasha just never had that bond. I think they'd wanted to create that with Jordy and then didn't, right? Because you remember early on, even in Naked Now, uh, they try to hint at there being uh, uh, some connection with them. So for whatever well we know the reason but the the short shrift that she got about not getting a a centric episode around her uh led to her having this this kind of lamp but i want i want to see those pitches that's what i keep getting back to is like what were the stories that they were going to tell that those scripts just never got developed or never chosen and man if we had just had one or two of them they probably would have been really standout episodes of of this first season right all right around the horn uh Miss Kate, how do you rate this show? Oh, God, that's really hard. Because it was definitely had a big impact on me. You know, this is this is one of those episodes that I clearly remember seeing the first time around. Um, so impact is one thing. Uh, but they just they 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 do Tasha dirty by they by killing her so early on. And so unceremoniously um so i'm gonna i'm gonna give this one um four uh vapid dark pools of um of goo all right greg what about you what's your rating sir based on pure memory and longevity in my brain pan i i think this is a standout episode of the first season uh you know it is similar to the 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 bags of mostly water line from uh, the home soil thing. It's just shaking around in my brain for, for years. And so I culturally, it's an important episode and I, and it means something to me and it will continue to mean something to me. And, and it's a marker as a memorial of like the things that could have been not just with, uh, you know, Tasha's character going forward, but just how, uh, it ends up being a marker of, of of change, I think, for the show as a whole, because this departure that we've been talking about ends up, you know, we get new blood, we get new people in there, and then we finally get to see the show that we all have grown to love for, for years and years and years. So it's an important cultural moment. So I'm going to give it uh, all of the titans that shed this skin of evil. <laughs> wow. Eric. <laughs> I will give this four buckets of bananas from the back of the fridge. Um, I I think it is memorable, <laughs> like Greg says, and and like uh, like has been covered. I, this was a, one of my first favorite characters that was ripped from me suddenly, and I'm still bitter about it. I'm mm. bitter about how they treated. Uh, Denise Crosby when she was there uh, just simply because I I happen to think she's a brilliant actor and having seen her do other stuff and even Jimmy knows and is always smiling when I'm defending actors uh, because I give them so much benefit of the doubt and I've been watching this season uh, paying special attention to her and I feel like I see some wonderful subtle choices trying to make up for some truly awful lines uh, no offense to all of the writers who seem to have been working under terrible conditions and delivering scripts the day of shooting and things like that. 
But uh, yeah, five buckets of goo. Check out Denise Crosby's career, which has never had a break. She's always been busy, and uh, it's awesome. All right, I'll give mine so that uh, we can let our guests have the final word. I think I'll give uh, the episode three eulogies. uh, (laughs) She didn't even get uh, one eulogy, actually, right? (laughs) Nobody memorialized her. She memorialized... That's right, she celebrated them. Uh, it, It was middle of the road for me. You know, I... Never cared for the character, honestly, but I do uh, agree that the character was short shrifted, and maybe that's why I never grew to like her. Um, so I did like seeing her go, um, especially like that, not given a chance. Um, I, I don't know if I could disagree more with Eric about her acting abilities or choices, uh, but that's Watch the Miracle beauty. Mile. That's the beauty of performance. It, it, it's all from the point of view of the audience. And if she spoke to you, then that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, so three eulogies for me. Uh, Tanya, tell us what, what what it is. Give us the word. Oh, this is, this is hard because everyone's been so witty. Um, <laughs> how about five pots of, of melted Play-Doh? Ooh, visceral. Stinky Uh, and fun. Yeah, like it's been out in the sun a little too long. Um, (laughs) Well, because it was, and it's mostly because of, it's like we saw the potential of what could have been if they'd actually bothered to do anything with her character. And then Mm. she dies so early in such a ridiculous way. And then it's just, this character is still, their, their enemy is still a quote-unquote good enemy because even now there's still an impact, at least for me. But at the time I watched it, I was like, just walk around the goo. What are you doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, it's very middle of the road and I wish Tasha had gotten that wharf scene earlier and we could have seen more of her before it came down to I want to leave this show. And she got yep. kind of a very meh send-off. All right, you heard it. That is the word, dear listeners. You, it's it's canon. It's cemented in. Uh, four buckets of melted Play-Doh <laughs> for this episode, Skin of Evil. Uh, yeah, Tanya, tell us, where can we find you and uh, give us your handles? Oh, boy. Um, Greg's going to laugh because he knows that I do too much. Um, so uh, I am online everywhere as Cypher of Tears, C-Y-P-H-E-R-O-F-T-Y-R. Um, you can find me starting Thursdays on the Black Dice Society over on uh, Wizards of the Coast YouTube channel. Uh, depending on when this airs, either live or on YouTube, you'll see us introduce our characters at Gary Con uh, Friday night. And then Sundays, uh, we have some Rivals Waterdeep left. I stream on my own channel in knock on wood at some point i will know whether we're going to get to do more into the motherlands which is the afrofuture sci-fi rpg that i'm creator and creator director of but our kickstarter will be launching in may nice so i'm doing a lot so this is probably the one of the few times i got to talk about something that is not rpg related video game related or anything else so nice please come back it's uh during the kickstarter so you can uh promote that Sure. Uh, that'd be fun. 
Yeah, and I'm just waiting for the people to jump over the the skin of evil. No one tried that. Like, <laughs> let's get an acrobatics they check. They wouldn't let Gates McFadden. I know I'm she like, tried. she's a dancer. She'll be fine. <laughs> she would look good doing it. Yeah. All right, now our pants are wet, I think. Right, Jimmy? Well, Jimmy's are. That's canon. <laughs> Thanks for being with us on The Bridge for this episode of Reengage. Next week, we're continuing on our mission with the next episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates on episodes, drops, and all kinds of fun Star Trek shenanigans. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Insta. Eric is a dummy, and he can be found on at Eric Falls Down on Twitter and Insta. Jimmy G reads whatever is put in front of him. You can find him at the Jimmy G on Insta. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito, all one word, on Twitter, and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by the lovely Krista Curry. Logo artwork is by Mojo Jojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Our theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for the saucer section to re-engage. <laughs>